Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Drum Network podcast. I'm senior reporter for tech at the Drum, Chris Sutcliffe. Our culture is waking up to the differences in all our minds and the differences in the sorts of thinking that we can do and work we can create. So here we're gathering a selection of absolute experts with an interest in neurodiversity alongside neurodivergent creatives and other marketers to find out exactly what the industry is doing, what it could be doing more of, and ultimately what we hope to see in the future. And so I'm going to ask my guests to introduce themselves now. Charlie, could we start with you, please? Hi, yeah, I'm Charlie. I'm the creative director for the BCG Group and Love That Creative Services. Um, I am here today to join this podcast as a member of the BCG Group um, who has been working very closely with a group called Neurodiversity in Planning. Um, Neurodiversity is very much at the core of what we do and how we operate as a business because our primary function as a communications consultancy is to engage with people at its core. Well, you've teed up uh, something that I know we're going to talk about here, which is actually engaging with people. Uh, but Rory, could you introduce us and tell us what you do, please? Yeah, uh, my name is Rory. I'm the head of integrated strategy at Iris London. So um, we're a you know integrated comms agency that does everything from uh, TV to CRM and everything in between. Um, I was diagnosed with ADHD uh, last year and have been trying to be a bit more vocal and use whatever little platform I have to um, encourage neuroinclusion. So that's why I'm here today. Nice. Fantastic. Delighted to have you on. And Jess? Hi, everyone. I'm Jess Markwood. I'm the COO for The Fifth. So The Fifth is a social creative agency. And we have expertise in influence marketing and social content specifically. Um, and I was very late diagnosed with dyslexia um, only a few years ago. Um, and then I quite recently discovered that I think I have dyscalculia. I can't even say it. Dyscalculia, <laughs> dyscalculia um, would be great to, I think, some sick joke that people uh, like wrote the words dyslexia and dyscalculia. <laughs> There we go. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's going to be uh, an absolute pleasure to hear your insights. And last but not least, Luke, could you tell us who you are and what you do, please? What's happening, everyone? My name is Luke, um, founder of Nerds Collective. We are a youth and culture marketing agency. I um, yeah suffer from ADHD. Well, I say suffer. I have ADHD and dyslexia, so I have some first-hand experience, and also work with a lot of talent that also are neurally diverse and. Can talk around some of the things that I've learned along the way. Nice. No, absolutely delighted to have all of you on for this chat. And Luke, if we can stick with you, I know towards the tail end of last year, or in fact, it may have been sort of August time, LinkedIn did a big campaign. They got celebrities like uh, Richard Branson on who are dyslexic themselves. And they did a whole dyslexia as a superpower campaign. To what extent do you feel like there is greater visibility of neurodivergence within the marketing industry? And to what extent do you feel like it's being highlighted more over the past couple of years than it ever has been? I think there's, there's been a significant, I think there's been a removal, or working towards a removal around the taboo of it. But I, th- I think it's, there's still a long way to go, mm. right? Because yes, we're starting to talk around the importance and that it is a superpower, but that's easy to say for someone that's like a, a billionaire, right? You know, it's, yeah. it's very convincing, but but you know, from in terms of the average person that suffers with ADHD or has you know his AD or, or is dyslexic, like I still think there's you know there's not a lot that's done to support those kind of individuals, um, because I do believe that it you know there's a, a tremendous amount of um, 
power that comes with that neurodiversion, right? You know, the ability for strong creative thinking, imagination, problem solving. I think, mm. you know, if you've grown up as a dyslexic, you've had to hack the system to stay ahead or to keep up, you know, tirelessly from a very early age, right? Which creates resilience, determination, to be able to overcome challenges. I think that dyslexics can think outside of the box in ways that most people can't. I think there is um, good at storytelling as well in ways that I think is unique to people who have dyslexia. Mm-hmm. Looking at alternative solutions um, and perspectives, and I think there's, um, I think dyslexics and definitely in my experience have like good recall as well, strong memory. You know, there's a neat, you really rely on your, your memory, and I think that you know frame of the ability to to look at patterns and find patterns that other people can't. And, and grasp kind of bigger picture thinking. Um, yeah, it are all superpowers, right? Mm. Super important, but it's a double-edged sword because a lot of the uh, the sh- kind of the, the shortcomings of dyslexia mean that it's quite difficult to employ you. The thing might, is, might, do you know what I mean? It's, it's hard to get through, to pass things, to look remotely intelligent. It's like you can, yeah. it's very undermining at the same time. So it's like a, a double-edged sword. So I think it's a, it's a superpower, but I think there's some people are working trying to understand that, but I think there's a long way to go. Yeah, well, you've preempted so many of the questions that I was going to ask there. Um, and I think you're totally right that there is, you know, work has been, working life has been set up for people who aren't necessarily not neurodivergent and it doesn't take advantage of their skills. And that was what that LinkedIn campaign was all about. But just to what extent do you feel like there is a wider recognition of the fact that so many, or rather a proportion of the workforce is neurodivergent in any number of ways? I think um, more broadly than just the industry we work in, it feels like there is a huge rise across society at the moment of awareness um, and visibility around neurodiversity. Um, there were some fantastic shows that came out last year and then Sam Thompson's recent show, um, Discovering... Uh, actually, I won't spoil it because if you haven't seen it, you should. It's fantastic. It's on Channel 4. Um, but talking lots about neurodiversity and, and the benefits that come with it, I think there's been so much focus in the past. I remember there was a girl at school. I went to school with her and she had quite severe dyslexia. Um, it wasn't picked up in me until literally a few years ago. But um, I remember the whole focus was on the, the negatives that come with that and the challenges that come with that. And actually exactly to Luke's point, like thinking about the, the positives, mm. there's, there's some huge opportunities um, within our industry. You know, we're all marketers. We're, like, we're great at communicating. So actually encouraging that and celebrating some of those positive points um, will only encourage more people to consider them, consider roles within the industry itself. So, yeah, Luke mentioned before that it's about being open to this and actually making it a lot more visible and and spoken about. So, Charlie, to what extent do you feel like the the conversation is ongoing, not just necessarily between people who are neurodivergent and their, you know, their counterparts in the in the marketing industry, but just in general, in the kind of the general public? Yeah, definitely. I mean, within within my um, team that I work with, uh, uh, a guy called Christian Groom, he's very much been spearheading the the relationship between BCG and uh, neurodiversity and planning. And he gave me a great um, kind of anecdote. It's 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 like turning a giant oil tanker, um, and it's turning it's about turning guidance into practice, right? So things are happening, things are making steps, you know, everybody's having the conversation. That's the first big thing is people actually having an open conversation without the bias, without the taboo. Um, but it's it's 
it's all about little steps into progress. It's not mm. like we're all going to suddenly be able to wake up the next day and everybody understand it. It's like any kind of, whether it's subconscious or conscious bias, it's, it's, you have to relentlessly keep pushing that message. And it's all about giving people access to tools, right? So mm. that people can, they can educate themselves. They can educate their colleagues, their businesses and, you know, things like partnering with, um, you know, other charities or, partnerships that really focus and really understand the issue at heart whereas you may not want to you not may not want to you may not be able to or have that ability to really understand because you know for myself I've I've never been diagnosed as neurodivergent so I I'm coming at this from a different way as someone that has been so it's Mm. all about making sure that those different opinions are coming together for a best foot forwards but it's definitely just that relentless, never stop pushing the message because I just, I think in our world where everything is so rapid and so instant, things like cancel culture and how quickly perceptions can change, people actually forget that it takes hard work to change, mm. for behavior change to happen and people to really understand the differences between us as human beings. Yeah, certainly. And in fact, I think if you look at you know similar endeavors across the marketing industry, it's not just putting them in place, it's measuring them and measuring the success and how far along the journey we are. But Rory, Charlie was mentioning there the fact that, you know, there are there's a need for facts and toolkits out there. Mm-hmm. Do you think there is there are more available now than there have been, or is there still a kind of dearth of knowledge about what it is to be neurodivergent within the marketing industry and in fact in sort of society more generally? Um, I think they're there if you go looking for them. I mean, I can only really speak from the perspective of ADHD because I'm a year into that journey. It's the area Mm. that I've been trying to find out more about my condition. I don't know about dyslexia or dyscalculia or, you know, um, any any of the others. And I should know more, but uh, I'm still trying to figure out what's going on with me first. But, um, yeah, and I found some resources that are really helpful for employers and employees, and I've been able to pass them on to the relevant people here, I think, you know, within the industry. I think within society, uh, there's growing awareness, but there's um, a huge, just a massive lack of knowledge uh, and misunderstanding in, in all of these conditions. And I think, you know, it's interesting because, uh, you know, as a society, we've kind of accepted now that people who are physically disabled need, we need to give certain bits of real estate to them or, you know, the toilets need to be bigger and those kind of things. So that's kind of accepted or we need ramps to get in. But because neurodivergence is unseen, it's very hard for people who are only just beginning to grasp it, um, the, the kind of accommodations that are actually needed within a kind of neurotypical workplace to actually make it inclusive. And I think the other thing is, is that it's kind of, it's great that it's happening, but it's also happening at a time when there's all these debates around identity politics and all these kind of things. And so people kind of uh, are co- conflating it with uh, other areas of identity and sort of some one of the comments oh everybody wants a label nowadays and those kind of things and it's actually hard to say no you know what these things actually well they have their benefits can make life really difficult for people and on the whole you'd rather not have them um so actually it's the kind of what i think is a bit concerning to me is it seems to be getting conflated with culture wars mm-hmm. and you're getting right wing sort of hit pieces on people with ADHD and it's just a bit, hang on a second, you wouldn't do that to somebody who's got one leg. Why would you do that to a neurodivergent person? So, yeah. I saw that. That was ridiculous. Was that the, was that the piece in, could have been the mail? That was just ridiculous. Oh, but, yeah, before... Every, every couple of 
weeks, to be honest. Yeah. It's one of the times on Monday. It's uh, it's pretty steady. And that's just in yeah. ADHD. That's just the bits that I pay attention to. And I think um, it's kind of hard to describe what's going on a lot in time as it's somebody who has it. And then it's even harder, I think, with, particularly with ADHD, just for, for a normal person to grasp it because yeah. you're all doing some of these things sometimes. I think, um, you know, for example, autism is much more ingrained in society that we've got an idea that people with autism can can struggle. Um, it's more accepted. So, um, yeah, I think it's uh, a very mixed bag and it's kind of got conflated into a kind of cultural debate, which isn't very helpful. Mm. But just one, like, one thing I was just thinking is um, I feel like the more senior you are, the easier it is to get away. Like, it, it, you know, that's where it comes out. Like, really where it affects people is when they're relatively junior. Because mm. if, you're, if you're new, you've got a job. If you've got ADHD, you're going to be, you're going to be like, look super sloppy in a lot of your work. If you're, not, if you're not into it, it's very difficult to concentrate. You can look scatty, find it hard to concentrate, look like you're distracting people. Then if, you, you know, if you've got dyslexia, you look shitty emails. You know, it's like, actually, it's quite difficult to succeed when you have that, right? Mm. I know a lot of my friends, it's like, you know, that are plumbers and whatever, like could be amazing in this industry, but they're just never going to be able to progress because of how much that stuff holds you back, right? Mm. And it is for a privileged few that kind of, turn, you know, it is a superpower if, if, if it's allowed to be, you're allowed to get to that point. But the reality is most people don't get to that point and they have to do something with their hands because side by side with any other candidate, you're going to look way worse. Yeah. Uh, you know, unless you're kind of a director or whatever, which is why I set my own company up because it's like I knew that I'd, I was always going to be sh- shit next side by side to someone because I can't do a status report or whatever. You know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah, measured across that kind of as as we've always measured success, it's very difficult, I suppose. Yeah, um, and yeah, which is where like you know, a lot of these people have turned to being an entrepreneur because yeah. no, they have it at some level. They believe in themselves despite a lot of facts of the country you know you might have done shit at school and i think there's a lot of trauma associated a life it lived with this stuff is traumatic like mm. it's not a fun like existence i, I think actually harder than it is good until i think much later in life yeah so i mean jesse were nodding along there particularly yeah. when luke was talking about it being senior people with whom it's sort of more spoken about does that chime with your experience does that chime with what you're seeing yeah massively i think um the reality for me was, uh, you know, I've mentioned it a couple of times already. I was, I was quite late diagnosed, like just a few years ago, um, and I think, like they talk a lot. There's been lots of research recently around like women finding um, like autism and ADHD um, in women is hard. I wonder mm. if it's similar with dyslexia as well. I'm not sure. I haven't looked into it, um, but I think certainly throughout my career, when I was in more junior roles, I was masking the whole time, just like you know, like running at a million miles an hour just to try and keep up, you know, like silly yeah. things like you'd sit in presentations and people are reading through the slides really fast thinking that everyone can keep up. And I'd be sitting there going, I didn't, I didn't read half of that. I didn't yeah. get through it, but I just like nod along and then ask for the slides yeah. later and then read them in my own time. And I think that's a real, like it, it is a real challenge. And I think, but it does make you super resilient. Um, and I think now, in, I am in a more senior position, a very privileged position. Um, I'd see it as my responsibility to make 
the challenges I had very visible, especially to the junior, like younger members of the team who may or may not openly have different neurodivergent, um, uh, like, what's the what's the term just, I, I suppose considerations at that point you know yeah that's and interesting I, but oh, you know on. like literally on my point there like i like how do you phrase this like we've yeah. talked about sort of training and the fact that um you know sort of other uh minorities um receive quite a lot of absolutely worthwhile and very important visibility now but i still struggle with the with the right language to use when it comes to um neuro diversity especially within the workplace and i think it's something that is is really needed to help people really recognize like where those different skills um manifest as skills and then where they manifest as perhaps challenges that we as employers have a responsibility to support and work around and i think just to build on jesse's point it's um it's quite an onus on the person and particularly like you, so Luke, at a junior level, to kind of constantly have to say, oh, I'm sorry, because of my ADHD, I need to do this, or because of my dyslexia, sorry, sorry. And you kind of have to apologize or explain it to everybody, you know, 10 times a day, or I have to work in this certain way because of my neurodiversity. And actually that, you know, isn't that great for the, for the neurodiverse person either. So it's all, it's actually, how do you give everybody the skills to go, okay, this has dyslexia, that means we need to adapt in, in this way, but that, uh, I think, goes back to Cardi's point. It's like an oil tanker. It's going to take a long time for, for people to know. Well, that leads very neatly onto the question I was going to ask Charlie, because we've all, well, all the other guests have mentioned it so far. Where does responsibility really lie in terms of making sure that your own workplace, that your own agency brand, is um, friendly to neurodiverse people? Is it the boss? Is it throughout the company? Where, where does that responsibility lie? I think at its core, it comes down to the culture the business has about openness and transparency. And first of all, creating a safe space that neurodivergent individuals feel that they can talk about their, their, um, their needs and the, you know, the challenges that they have. And then it's a, it's then about really championing those lines of communication. Um, you know, it's it, how how many businesses do we know that their DNI policy has really, really in depth information around inclusivity and diversity, whether that's ethnicity, social economic background, religion. But what level of detail do they then go into neurodiversity? And you know, the difference is there. It's it, it has to be a, a combination of creating that safety, but also having you know a, a really fantastic HR team behind you that that understand all of those intricacies that then can support your your line managers, can support your senior team, that can then help to then support the wider team facing those challenges. Um, I'm, I'm really spoiled that we have that in place at BECG, but I know it's not necessarily everywhere. And I expect you guys on the call have had more experience with that as, as individuals. Um but until I, I think until you create that safety that you can be, you can communicate those issues and challenges as an individual and that you are, the, the business is structured in a way to support that, then it's kind of, it's a bit chicken and egg, I think. That safety is key, though, being able to be transparent about how you're feeling, you know, how, how things are challenging you, ideas on how to make it better, that, you know, mm. being able to be positive about it, that's, that is critical, I think, to turning things around. 
So Luke mentioned before the fact that, you know, to some extent it, it, there are, these are skills that aren't um, available to everybody, you know, that are afforded by uh, dyslexia or ADHD even, but I'm going to throw this out to the entire panel. What are the benefits for marketing bodies, organizations, agencies, brands, everybody, whether that be societally uh, or even cynically commercially, from making sure that your messaging, your organization is neurodivergent friendly? Is it being better able to represent people in advertising? Is it making sure that you're more representative of the wider uh, the wider population? What are some of the benefits to making sure that your organization is neurodivergent friendly? And that's to whoever wants to take it. I mean, I guess there's two things there, isn't there? There's one is the internal culture and one is the external comms that you produce. Um, as with any minority, the more that you see uh, in represented in advertising or marketing, the, the more that people with those conditions feel, A, a part of society and B, that the, they can be those things that are being represented that you know helps get the message across that a neuro divergence shouldn't be a barrier to, to success. I think uh, in terms of uh, what we do internally, um, it, it's, it's, I think it's more about, so it's my, my personal experience at Iris, and, and we're, in, we're in a very different place now. So the, the, when I first said I've got ADHD, the, I think the people team went, great, well, just let us know if there's anything we can do to help. And I was like, well, I don't know. I've just, I've, I've only found out I've got it at the age of 44. I don't know what I need right now. And I think, you know, I've gone on this journey with the people team and I think that they are now hopefully in a position where the next person who said that, they would go, great, here's everything that we can do. They've uh, partnered with an organisation that will help them get their access to work assessment so that they can get their government funding. We've got a set of tools and IT integrations that I've worked on, you know, worked with the IT department on. Okay, well, let's set up Todoist so that you've got, a, a, you know, something that syncs to your outlook and you can make notes really easily and work through ways of working with um, with colleagues and a few tips around time boxing and, and things like that. We can help. And so I think actually if, if you can go across each of the neurodivergences and go, okay, Here's what we can do from an IT perspective. Here's what we can do uh, in terms of training the five people that you work closest with. And here's how we can support you through your access to work uh, grant application. Then you're immediately helping, you know, helping and stepping in and rather than going, okay, great. Thanks for letting us know. Um, come back and let us know if you need anything. So, um, yeah, I think the next person who comes along with ADHD will get a, a much more sort of improved experience. So. And how about in that external culture? I, I, you know, there's every time we get a pitch at the drum about something to do with neurodiversity, it's it's seen still as an outlier or an afterthought in terms of you know we are we've created this advert with neurodivergent people in mind. Can any of you think of brands that are doing messaging around that particularly well, or is it still that afterthought? So hard to yeah. show. Like you can, you know, I think Maltesers did brilliant work with um, physically disabled people, and and mm. then, you know by putting them front and center of their campaigns. How do you show dyslexia if it's not an advert about dyslexia? It's, I don't know, it's quite hard. I'd, I'd struggle to go, oh, that character is, you know, autistic. Apparently, one of the squirrels in Hey Dougie is neurodivergent, and I watch that every day with my two-year-old, and I still don't know which one it is. So it's like it's really hard <laughs> to see it on the outside, you know. Well, think- relative, relatively, like, for instance, the study of ADHD is, is new, right? There's, there's not that much insight and intel around it. 
since like only recently have they found that ADHD is basically a form of um, Spurgis. Mm. Right? It's like there's, there's so much that's really just at the very forefront of medical science and, and understanding how the brain works that the idea that it's trickling down is that most GPs aren't that familiar with, you know, the realities. A lot of people still think, you know, ADHD is about being physically hyperactive. Mm, that is that is definitely the uh, the stereotype, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's, you know, when I think it's, it's hyperactivity of the mind, of the thinking, which is where it links to Asperger's, right? And that in itself is why people with ADHD can think so quickly, like, bang, 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 which is, you know, the advantages of having them on the team is that they, they think at just an unprecedented speed. And going back to your question is, I, I just think it is, it's, it's in its infancy, right? I think naturally we're breaking down barriers around identity and that falling into one form of identity, but I think there's a long way to go. And I still think it, it, it's, a, you know, on some level, my experience is a big disability, right? I, you know, there's a lot of, Oh, it's super positive, but it's not the reality. It's, mm. you know, it's actually really difficult. And I think it's it's more of a hindrance than a superpower until you're much I older. Think, um, I think it's probably, you know, times are changing in terms of how we communicate and we advertise to, to consumers, right? So, you know, in, in 10 years' time, I, there might not be the big TV ads that we have. And I think, I think that's where the challenge is, right, is that the things that we are bombarded with on a day-to-day, they are meant for broad audience awareness like they 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 don't they don't really drill down into that audience segmentation and with you know as as digital advertising social media all of those elements start to really get traction it's that audience segmentation that is going to help make neurodiversity feel more included because i don't i i maybe it's a, a competition to have but i don't know how you would do a TV ad, for instance, mm. that ticks every box without it feeling like you're ticking every box. Whereas you can have a digital campaign that you you cater the message and you cater your look and feel to those different audiences, whether that's neurodivergent, male, female, old, young, whatever. The possibilities of, of being able to include everyone through your marketing and your, your advertising lies i think much more in our digital space than those traditional advertising out- outlets and until you know it i don't know if we'll ever see that representation physically manifest itself in a way on traditional advertising mm. media but certainly through audience segmentation and how we use our social channels and digital channels i think that's where that's the area that has the most power to make it feeling more inclusive for those audiences. I think that's exactly right, Charlie. Like the reality is that we said at the beginning, neurodivergence is um, is not visible. So how mm-hmm. can you create, you know, visible ads that that show that you are visibly representing people with like different neurodivergent um, experiences? I mean, you can't. Um, and then considering. The, you know, the sensitivity around how you advertise to them. You know, perhaps one ad that doesn't have loads of bright flashing images like fast paced uh, might appeal to some person, to one person. And then an ad that perhaps shows less 
words slower down so that it's easier to read perhaps as another example um, would be another consideration so it's more about making your ads digestible um, and understandable and relatable to that person as opposed to them feeling seen uh, in the ad itself right so and and in fact that is kind of gone wrong i keep interrupting sorry you go it's just one of the point is um tied to that thing of us growing you know the growing awareness of it in society and what is good is when you know higher profile people come out and and advocate for the condition is actually maybe it's the talent that you partner with as well so you know within the autistic community Mel Sykes is seen as a, a really strong advocate or you know we have Sue Perkins within ADHD and all these people that are actually prominent uh, sort of advocates and actually is it just featuring those people and, and when you are sort of looking at the people with or even during an influencer campaign uh, you know more of a social level is actually uh, giving those people a platform and using your brand as a platform for neurodivergent people as well well that's really interesting i was going to ask actually do we feel like the advent of social media and, and influencers and particularly influencers in niche spaces has led people to be more aware of what it is like to live with these conditions whether that be you know to look to luke's point the difficulty of getting on the kind of the bottom rungs of a business or even just kind of sharing information about what it is to to have these conditions so rather not conditions but rather what it is to be neurodivergent so do we think that there is more opportunities more touch points for people with who are neurodivergent to represent themselves or you know what do we actually see in that space i think i think sorry go on rory mate yeah, I mean, I, I, I would, yeah, definitely. It's a massive uh, role in in people sort of becoming aware of their own symptoms. I think the the constant watch out is misinformation, and there was a study mm. recently where like fifty one percent of um, ADHD videos on TikTok were found to contain misleading or inaccurate information. So it's just really important that if anybody feels like they're they might be neurodivergent, that they go to sort of credible mm. sources, go to the NHS speak to doctors, speak to medical professionals um, and make sure that you're getting really sort of um, rigorous evidence-based information about your condition, um, even if you got your, your first inklings from social media. Yeah, I think having icons, relatable um, icons that, um, you know, people aspire to that kind of come out with, with you know, some of those things that they have suffered with is a really great way of, of building esteem into younger people. Because I think the, the problem really is young, young, right? It's like your life starts to fall off as soon as you get into basically year one. It's like you're slowly moving away, right, from the majority and you're kind of further and further behind it, which then creates a lot of psychological problems. And, you know, and I think by, by looking at people that have, have managed to succeed and hack the system with, with some of these conditions – ultimately it's the best thing anyone can do and it's, it's mm. kind of that light and dark it's like you know talking about success and whatever just framing it but giving a bit of context around some of the things that you've had to overcome it's a really easy way spot on what Rory was saying about just getting that messaging in one of the um one of the most powerful um pieces of content I've seen and definitely correct me or let's say if there's any others but the 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 kind of piece that really um brought my attention to neurodiversity in a different way to what we do in our in our business in our everyday lives at BCG was um Christine McGuinness's um what, what would you call it documentary um the vulnerability that she had and the way she talked and she she met with people I think that the power of that 
just from an outsider was was fantastic. It, it didn't feel over scripted. It felt very authentic, and I think you know um, autism in women is is something, and and you know girls is is only now one of those conversations where people are, are having it because it's, it manifests differently in male and females. So it something like that can really trigger quite a rapid response and rapid awareness uptake because it's someone in the mainstream, it's someone that people can relate to, and it's something that feels quite real as that story has been told. And I think that's the most important thing is that it's that authenticity piece that helps mm. people feel comfortable. Well, unfortunately... We are running out of time on the episode. I know that we could talk about this for so much longer hours, really. So maybe we'll get you back in a couple of months to do almost a, a part two, going into sort of much more of the practical side of it. But I would thank you so much, Charlie, Rory, Jess, and Luke. Uh, I wondered if the listeners want to get in contact with you, find out more about you, your organisation, or what you do. Charlie, where's the best place for them to find you? Um, if they head to becg.com, um, and you can actually download our neurodiversity toolkit there. So there's a, a really nice, helpful element there that get people started. Perfect. Thank you. And Rory? Uh, I'll say, uh, yeah, LinkedIn. Uh, you can, anybody can find me there. Uh, I think there's only one Rory Nakiel on there. So yeah, thank you. Oh, you're, you're lucky there's about eight Chris Sutcliffe's just in London. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and Jess? Um. I'm on the fifthagency.com website um, and also, yeah, find me on LinkedIn. I'm always keen to talk to people with who have similar experiences to mine and share um, yeah, stories. Fantastic. And Luke? LinkedIn, lukehodson.io or just nursecollective.com. Nice. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to go on and have this chat. Like I said, we'll definitely need to get you back because there's so much more that needs to be said around this. But for now, thank you so much. And for the listeners, please do go to thedrum.com where we write about all aspects of media, marketing, and how it intersects with culture and society every single day of the week. That's thedrum.com, or you can find us at The Drum on social media. But for now, thank you so much for listening, and goodbye. <laughs>